Hi again, everyone. Thanks for checking into Management Decisions here on LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma, and today we're looking at ways in which organizations could really be getting more out of their employees from start to finish. Now, joining me on the phone today is Mike Bergelson, CEO and co-founder of Everwise. Now, Everwise is a technology company dedicated to reinventing mentorship in the workplace. They've actually been used by a little company called eBay. You may have heard of them as well. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Tim. Great to be here. That's an interesting topic, the idea of mentoring and mentorship in general. So I want to start off by getting your take. If you were going to describe mentoring to listeners, again, especially in terms of the workplace specifically, how exactly would you describe that to them? Tim, mentoring takes a couple of different forms in the workplace. There's a traditional form of mentoring where typically a less experienced employee would connect with a more experienced employee and seek guidance from them on a bunch of different topics. Right. There are other forms of mentorship, like peer mentorship, for example, where employees of the same level of experience will get together and share ideas and challenges and help each other. And then there's a third form that's emerging in recent years that's often been called reverse mentoring, mm-hmm. where younger folks or, or less experienced employees will actually be able to give guidance to more experienced or more senior employees, oftentimes around topics like technology awareness, and understanding generational type issues. Sure. So is that something you've seen as being a big trend, say, in the last 5, 10, 15 years, or any other trends that you've noticed or your organization has noticed when it comes to mentoring? You know, it's a good question, Tim. The One of the most important trends we're seeing is mentoring itself actually appears to be trending. Really? Um, it's funny. So if you look in the popular media, both from sports figures, to actors, to politicians, to business leaders, there aren't many people who are in the public spotlight who, who haven't one way or the other mentioned their mentor or somebody who's taken them under their wing. Right. A good example would be uh, the current CEO of Microsoft. His chairman actually talks a bunch about how Sanchez is seeking mentorship from him on how to lead the organization as this is a bigger role than he's had before. So one of the most important trends we're seeing is that mentorship itself has become uh, much more popular in the, in the common parlance. Another trend that we're seeing is around reverse mentoring. And this is true uh, in no small part because of the fact that we've got four generations now in the, in the workplace. Right. And there are the baby boomer generation who often scratch their heads and, and will admit that they may not understand some of the latest <laughs> technology trends or they may not understand, for example, why their kids or why their grandkids are, how they're physically able to send 1,500 text messages a month. (laughs) And so one of the things that we're seeing is is just uh, learning between generations that often takes the form of the more junior folks teaching some of the more senior folks how to embrace technology, how to think about transparency and much more open communication. I definitely want to touch on those two areas that you brought up. First, the idea of the reverse mentoring. Is that something that was brought to the table by sort of the older generation was, or was it broached by sort of that middle ground saying, hey, we need to find a way to connect these two in a, a different way? How did that all come about, at least from what you've experienced? Well, what we're seeing is, you know, there there are there are labels that get slapped on things that have been have been happening for for decades or for generations, and we think that's true of reverse mentoring. So even though we've just started to talk about reverse mentoring, and Jack Welsh at GE and some of his HR leadership there were some of the first folks to really uh, put structure around reverse mentoring mm-hmm. and put labels around reverse mentoring, but this has been going on for generations. I mean, maybe Tim, you can relate to this. You know, we, our parents 
would certainly have been mystified by some of the things that we did and would have looked to us for guidance, maybe, I don't know, for similar generations, but how to use the VCR, how to get the <laughs> clock to stop blinking. You know, those are examples, simple or trite as they may seem, of reverse mentoring, sure. where more senior folks who have a lot of knowledge turn to younger generations to try to understand things that mystify them. What's interesting is because the pace of change is evolving so quickly because technology now is having such an important impact on so many industries. Reverse mentoring now is becoming even more critical than it has been in years past because senior leaders, the people who make the calls on budget, the people who make the calls on product direction are having to gain a deep appreciation for younger generations and what uh, what motivates them, how they want to engage with products, et cetera. So Reverse mentoring, we think, is going to continue to pick up steam, but it's really not a new concept. So going back then to the original point that you made was just that mentoring as a whole sort of has become more popular over the years. Is there a reason that occurred? Was it something that just kind of naturally developed? Or do you know any of the history, so to speak, behind why that even began to become an issue once again? Well, I think one of the things that we're seeing is is that Professionals in the learning community are constantly trying to figure out what works and this, you know, what works for people. And, and there are a bunch of people looking at education reform in the K through 12. So for children, obviously people asking a lot of hard questions around higher education. And there are dozens of thousands of professionals around the world whose job it is to help people continue to learn when they get into the workplace. And lots of people have been trying to figure out what's the best way for people to learn. Is it self-directed learning where people will sit in front of a, a book or sit in front of a computer now and watch mm-hmm. lessons? Or is it guided experiential learning where a coach or a mentor will help provide insights? Or is it you know problems, challenges where people will put themselves out of their comfort zone? And Industrial psychologists have shown that actually it's a balance of all three. And what this has done is they've said, okay, so really only 10% of the time that we spend learning should be spent reading a book or watching a video or what's called self-directed learning. 20% of our time learning should be spent with a coach or with a mentor. And the balance of our time or 70% should be putting ourselves out of our comfort zone and really in stretch assignments. And so what this has done and answered your question is this has really shown a bright light on the impact that coaching and mentoring can have for learning. And so now the people who are thinking about redefining learning from kindergarten straight up through the workplace are starting to understand the value that these person-to-person connections can have for learning. People have concluded and now are putting labels on observations that people have known for thousands of years, which Mm -hmm. is that people learn best from people. And as a result, now it's also, frankly, as people become more successful and are more in the spotlight, it's humble, I think, and it's nice to turn around and say, hey, these are the people who helped me get there. Sure. And because the popular media has picked up on these stories, we're starting to see more attention paid to the value of mentorship, the value of coaching, the value of one-to-one guidance. Now, some people listening might be thinking, well, how is this different than your typical training regimen that you might find when you enter a new workplace or uh, even go, you know, attending workshops where you have those experts come in and kind of break down certain areas that might be helpful to you? How does mentoring differentiate itself from those aspects? So oftentimes when people think training, they think I'm going to go to a classroom and I'm going to sit with 10 of my colleagues or 10 other students or 50 other students in a room and a professor or a trainer is going to speak to us. And, you know, from time to time, the professor might use, you know, what's often referred to as the Socratic method or Mm -hmm. maybe try to get people to be a little bit interactive. But for the most part, you sit and listen and ingest based on what somebody is telling you. 
Typically, training takes that form in a classroom. Over the last 15 years, we've seen the advent of what people refer to as e-learning, which is where I can watch videos. So instead of being in the room with that professor, I can watch that professor on my computer. More recently, we've seen massively open online courses or MOOCs Mm -hmm. like Coursera and Udacity, where college professors, their content is available online. That's a very traditional didactic form of training. Mentorship is quite different. Mentorship is typically one, it's a one-to-one relationship between a learner and a mentor, a learner and teacher, where the learner exposes him or herself and says, here's what I want to work on. Here are my objectives. And because the teacher or the mentor has very specific experience, he or she can guide that learner by asking questions or by telling parables, by telling stories, saying, you know, that reminds me of this point in my career when this thing happened. And then in the best examples of mentorship, the learner will actually come to his or her own conclusions. So instead of being fed the answer, as may be the case in many classrooms, This is a much more challenging learning environment where the mentee or the protege is forced to take the information that's provided to him or her and come to their own conclusions. So, I mean, I'm reminded of the metaphor, you know, instead of giving somebody a piece of fish, you teach them to fish and how much more powerful that can be. Sure. In its best examples, mentorship really is like teaching people to fish because you allow them to come to their own conclusions and they're actually building the tools to solve the problems going forward and not just in this instance. Now, you touched on a little bit of this earlier, but what would you say to people are the really important reasons that mentoring and having mentoring programs are important, especially in the workplaces today? Well, mentoring, mentoring is one of the most effective ways for people to learn. There's ample evidence to support that. That's true both in the workplace, in a corporate environment. It's also true for entrepreneurs. There was a hmm. study that was released I think just this week uh, out of New York by a great organization called Endeavor, which is an international organization that supports high impact entrepreneurs around the world. And they were able to prove um, with statistical methods that entrepreneurs who have mentors are considerably more likely to succeed than those who don't. In fact, they went so far as to say that mentorship is, if not the top, it's one of the top correlates with success for entrepreneurship. Hmm. And they showed that they have a definition of top performing entrepreneurs. And you are, entrepreneurs are three times more likely to be a top performer if they have a mentor than if they don't. So sort of staggering evidence is something that sort of comes naturally to many of us, which is if you have guidance, if you have somebody who's been there before guiding some of the decisions you're making, it can have a huge impact when you're building a business. That's also true for people who are you know, working in large organizations. So when we make transitions at different points in our careers, when we go from being an individual contributor to being for the first time a manager of people, that is a classic point in people's careers where they can stumble because Mm -hmm. the reason often that they were promoted to be a manager is because they're great at what they do. They see a problem, they solve it. But now as a manager, the challenge is to allow others to solve problems, even if you know how to solve it better than than your team might. And so delegation becomes a challenge for people when they first become a manager. And so mentoring can be really powerful because a new manager can turn to his or her mentor and seek guidance in the moment to say, hey, I had this, op- I had this thing happen and Sarah you know, was just taking her longer than I sh- thought it should have. So I went in and did the work and then Sarah afterwards seemed to be pretty 
unpleased, seem to be pretty displeased <laughs> with me and what's going on here. And the mentor could say, well, look, here's what happened. you know. Right. And this reminds me of when I first became a manager. I was just doing everybody's job because it was so much easier and I would just get it done and we had goals to hit. But what I found was that by stepping back, by giving Sarah the room to give it a shot and then giving her some course corrections, not only did we get the job done, but she actually learned. And so now I can rely on Sarah to do the things that I would have had to do myself. So mentoring can be really effective both for entrepreneurs, but it can also be really effective for people as they move through their careers and hit some of the key challenges that are, you know, frankly, that are hard to crack in the classroom. And that example you brought up, uh, the idea of moving from a position of where you're the expert into the idea of managing people, I think that is a classic example of where people, as you said, they stumble, they struggle. So I can definitely see the, uh, the impact that could have as far as having a mentor in this area. With that in mind, of course, it sounds great and it sounds in theory very simple. We all know it's not necessarily the case. What challenges do organizations face when they are looking to create a mentoring program within their own organization? There are a handful of challenges. One is finding the right mentors is top, almost top of the list. Two is when you have great mentors and when you have protégés who are motivated to be in, in mentoring relationships, providing the guidance, providing the structure so the mentor and the protege know how to optimize the relationship that they've got can be a challenge. A third challenge is really managing these programs at scale. Mm -hmm. So many organizations find, hey, 10, 20, 30, 40 people, no problem. But when you get to organizations, you know, some of the some of the great companies in the nation in the world that have hundreds of thousands of employees, and you want to offer this as an opportunity for many, if not most, if not all of your employees, managing programs at that scale is nearly impossible. So let's sort of unpack each one. So one of the key challenges is finding the right mentors. And often what we see is senior executives, there will be a senior executive who understands the value of mentorship. And she will say to her team, hey, guys, this is really important to me. I want you all to sign up as mentors. And her team will say, you got it. We'll do that, Jane. And they'll all sign up as mentors, but they're doing it because they've been voluntold to do it. <laughs> So it's like, I'd love for you guys to do it, but really I'm telling you, go do this, right? right? And so Jane wants, Jane wants it to happen, so I'm going to do it for Jane. But that doesn't translate into good, long-lasting relationships between the mentor and the protege. It really only leads to a good first meeting because the mentor will show up and say, hey, Jane wanted me to do this, so how can I help? They'll get through about an hour typically, and then the second, third, fourth meetings, oftentimes you'll see that the, the energy level is asymptotic at zero. I mean, you know, it quickly goes to, to no energy at all. So one challenge is finding the right mentors who are properly motivated. And then the next is putting structure around the partnerships. So one of the things, I guess, that Tim, I'll ask you, so between the mentor and the protege, who should be driving the relationship? Should the mentor be scheduling the calls and saying, hey, let's meet, or should the protege be scheduling the calls? Which do you think? Well, based on our conversation, I would argue actually the protege should be the one doing so. Exactly right. Yes. <laughs> many people don't know that. And in fact, many times when we talk to mentors, the mentors will say, well, I don't know. I kept calling my protege and never heard from him or her. <laughs> right. And they don't want to meet. Or, and it's like, I'm trying to, you know, they're trying to force the goodwill on the proteges. Well, guess what? If the protege doesn't want your advice, walk away, find mm. somebody else who does. But oftentimes mentors won't know that it's really the protege's responsibility and the protege won't know that it's his or her responsibility because they're working with somebody who's more senior. And so sometimes it's uncomfortable to, you know, to, to insert yourself in somebody's calendar, but making clear to the proteges, it's your responsibility to drive this relationship. It's your responsibility to define the agenda. It's your responsibility to get on Fred's calendar. Just saying that and making that clear 
gives them license to go do it. Otherwise, they may not know. And then the relationship goes nowhere. So explaining some of the tricks of the trade to both the mentor and to the protege oftentimes is a challenge just because people don't know. Now, you know, this stuff's not rocket science, but just explaining, hey, here's the way things should work. Right. The third point I made is just managing these programs at scale. So it turns out, you know, if you said, you know, hey, here at the radio program, we've got 10 folks, we want to run a mentoring program, I would say not a problem. Here are some things to think about, go do it. If you said, you know, I work at Walmart and I've got 10,000 people in my division and I want 10,000 people to be benefiting from the virtues of mentorship, different story. How do we match those folks? How do we check in to make sure the relationships are going well? How can we gauge the engagement and the results? And how can we learn over time how to tweak the program so that it gets better year over year? Those are challenges that organizations face when they try to scale mentorship beyond a small department level to hundreds or thousands of participants at the division level, at the corporate level. Sure. Well, clearly you have a ton of inside knowledge and experience when it comes to this area, and we wouldn't have had you on the show talking about this if you weren't an expert in this arena. So I wanted to ask you then, as we get close to the ending of our show, where then does your company come into play Everwise as far as workplace mentoring and what you can offer to help out these organizations? Everwise makes mentoring work uh, in the corporate context, and our software can also help organizations in the social sector. We're based in Silicon Valley, and we have looked at an age-old challenge, which is how can we make mentoring work through the lens of what we now know from the world of online dating, from the world of big data analytics. And we've said, okay, if we use some of the tricks of the trade from online dating, we can probably get a lot smarter about how we match mentors and protégés. And if we look at big data analytics, we can learn over time how to make better matches and how to provide mentors and protégés with the right resources as they move through their mentoring relationships. So we're a software company and we can license the software to organizations who have their own communities, like, for example, in the social sector, or we actually run the software and we have a a network of volunteer mentors from around the world that we can bring to bear for great organizations like HP and eBay and Cisco and Genentech and Merck and Mattel and folks like that are some of the, the folks that we work with. Well, Mike, I've appreciated the conversation. I think some great insight and uh, people, of course, are interested. They can check out more of what your organization does and, uh, and get that expertise that we've been talking about today. Thanks again for coming on the show and sharing with us. Thanks very much, Tim. I've enjoyed it. That will officially wrap things up for us here on Management Decisions. Once again, we were speaking with Mike Bergelson, CEO and co-founder of Everwise. If you want to check out more about what they have to offer, you can go to their website, geteverwise.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at LJN Radio, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or find us on Twitter at the LJN. For everyone here at the Local Job Network, I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. <laughs>